This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is underwritten by Syraclad. The Syraclad Rainscreen Fiber Cement Siding System, a proven track record of performance in Japan for nearly 40 years. Zero chemicals, triple coated and factory finished color layering. The ceramic and photocatalytic coat provides 365 day self-cleaning and a 20 year fade limited warning. This high performance siding system serves as an honored innovation with parent company Panasonic and Kubota. For more information, please visit Syraclad.com. Our guest today, we're, uh, we're honored and excited to welcome Justin Beals, co-founder and CEO of Strike Graphic. Strike Graphic exists so uh, an organization can achieve its cyber security goals painlessly. I like that, painlessly. They're committed to making sure security compliance isn't a roadblock for innovative ideas and growing companies. Cyber security is important. Their platform identifies your company's vulnerabilities and addresses them quickly and simply so your data is protected and you can focus on making your business wildly it says it wildly successful you can find them on the web at strikegraphic.com strikegraphic.com justin thanks for being on the show today love having you here tom it's really my pleasure to join absolutely yeah it's great to chat and i uh, love the material you've been putting out it's, it's oh thank fun. you Thank yeah. you very much, Justin. We, we start our show, Justin, with, uh, you know, if you have a quote or a prayer or uh, anything that may have happened in your life that you kind of sticks out in your head, as personally or professionally. Yeah, um, I certainly do have a, a little a quote uh, that um, I've tried to use as a, a guide uh, in life and business. Um, it's uh, it's from Frederick Lewis Donaldson, and it's from 1925. And it was actually something that um, that Gandhi learned and and was included in a lot of the, the the work that he was doing. But it it starts off with the seven social sins, and so the seven social sins are wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, knowledge without character, commerce without morality, science without humanity worship without sacrifice and politics without principle. And I think that a lot of what we do, Tom, is a balancing act. You know, we're weighing uh, issues to optimize the right outcome. And I like the fact that, especially, I I work really hard in the work I do in business to bring ethics Mm -hmm. uh, to the work that we do and and how we do that work is really important to me. On the topic of ethics, how and why, let's just go with that, when even, did that really resonate with you, whether it's when you were younger, recent, not obviously not recently, but uh, any incident or incidents or experiences that really made you value the ethics? Yeah, I certainly think that um, early in career, I was interested in how businesses treat their employees better. 
Um, of course, it was very one-sided as I was an employee, not necessarily management. So I saw what I wanted out of the relationship as opposed to what they were dealing with on the other side. And as I practiced entrepreneurship and building companies, I certainly got a better perspective of what teams are dealing with, both from a management perspective and as an employee. But I think where ethics really started to um, be critical in the work that I was doing was I, I spent a fair bit of time uh, developing education technology and working in the education industry, which is massive. Uh, I, I really found that there were some products that I loved working on because I felt like they created a virtuous cycle uh, for learning, for students, for teachers, for the institutions, the schools themselves. Uh, and it, it kind of fed the loop, so to speak, of, of better for everyone. But then there were a lot of products that we were asked to build that were just a cost savings or a slight reduction in quality to improve uh, profit um, and didn't really focus on students learning, but maybe teacher adoption from a sales perspective. And so I started thinking a lot about how we build products that have an ethical impact. Um, one, of the, one of the things in founding StrikeCraft that I wanted to shift is that I wanted the customer that paid us money to get the direct value from the solution we provided. To me, that was setting us up for a more ethical relationship in that if they weren't getting the value that they wanted, we would have a direct feedback loop. They wouldn't pay us money. And if they were getting the value they needed, then we would receive the reward. And so StrikeGraph uh, in its early days was designed to provide that sort of um, ethical relationship with our consumer. Wow. That uh, the teamwork I notice is vital in your organization yeah. and share with that. I know people do that, give that lift service, but they don't actually really mean it. And that, look, we're really teammates in this whole process. Yeah. That uh, has certainly been a, a reinforced requirement for how, how to work together. And maybe from the very beginning, one of the first frustrations that I had coming out of my college career into my working career was just how cruel people seem to be to each other on teams. Um, and at a lot of the larger organizations that I worked for, I spent more time politicking than delivering good product or making, <laughs> making the organization more successful. And especially, you know, my, uh, my personal area of expertise early in my career was software development. I was a software engineer for a while. They don't, they don't let me touch production code anymore, but I was pretty good at a time. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I learned is that, that if the team worked really well together, we were exponentially uh, better at delivery than if we had one really rock star engineer that ruled over all the other engineers. And so uh, I started telling, especially as I started building companies, the, the engineers that I hired that what we do is a team sport, that we either get there all together in delivering software and code and product to our customers, or we don't get there at all. And, um, and I've made it a real requirement that I would rather have a better collaborative team with less skill. We deliver better. Uh, by sacrificing the nth degree of skill 
for a team that works more cohesively. And we've made that a mantra in our organization, not only inside our engineering teams, but our sales teams and our marketing teams and our um, customer support teams that we, we really work as an organization together uh, to be successful. Well, you know, what's really interesting about that is I'd read fairly recently, and I won't know, say it exactly like I, I read it, but I'm going to get the essence of it, is that trees, and I'm not sure which trees, when they grow individually, their roots are, are strong, obviously enough for them to survive, but when they're collectively connected, their roots actually bind with the roots of other trees, and it enhances the growth and the longevity of the of all the trees. That's nature. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Okay. I think like aspens, right? Growing okay. an interconnected root set, uh, having strength in that. Um, and maybe it, it speaks to how I think about um, the, the, the types of goals we want to live up to, or if, if we are aspirational about what we want to achieve. I don't necessarily think about individual founders so much. I mean, I think they're great contributors, but just like me, I'm just a contributor at my organization. I, I do have power as a CEO. You have to recognize that, but a lot less than some people think some days. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I think about organizations like Nintendo, like organizations that have been around for a century or more that have perfected the craft of what they do. And I find them much an aspiration for me to, to live up to that example as opposed to a single individual contributor. Yeah. On the subject of Nintendo, before we, uh, because they've been around quite a while, I noticed when we got on your show, the skateboards in, yeah. on, your, on you. Share with your audience today the, the skateboard and even how it, how it is transferred into your, into your uh, business. Yeah. So um, thanks, because I love talking about skateboarding. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I, I, I do really enjoy it. And of course, I'll admit my age at 50 now that I'm <laughs> a little bit of a, a unique bird um, at the skate park. I, I learned to skateboard, of course, like many of us when I was a little kid. Um, I had the little plastic boards with the plastic wheels that we kept falling off of. And um, as it became... Um, kind of a fad or, or things that kids were interested in, I got it. What was appealing about it to me was that it was uh, really something to connect, to create a new culture around. Um, not, you know, I, I grew up in the South, so it wouldn't have been playing football or baseball. It would have been this unique culture of a lot of different people that didn't seem to fit into the other categories around us very well. And we were building it ourselves. Um, I love that. Uh, initially one of the things you learn as a skateboarder, I think, is that it's anti-competitive uh, with your, there's no teammates against another team. Really, I, I don't think about it in a competitive uh, fashion at all, except for what I want to achieve with it. So it is a very selfish um, enterprise, like painting uh, or being a great writer in a way. Um, and uh, it, it is an innovative and creative outlet. Um, so you, it's an expression of you and your context, whether it be um, stairs uh, in a concrete space or a, a bank or a, a planned park. It's how you want to engage the environment around you, the context, how you as an individual create inside of it. Um, and, and that's very powerful. And then one, my particular form that I like doing is uh, writing pools 
or mm. half pipes, um, a little more the Tony Hawk style of skateboarding uh, from back in the day. And there is this absolutely special moment of weightlessness that happens over and over and over again when dealing in vertical spaces and motion. And it's that untethering from the earth for just that brief millisecond that just is exciting and exhilarating and, and perspective setting in a way. And, uh, I haven't been able to let go of it yet, (laughs) but it's very multi-generational now. You know, my, I'm proud to say my niece and nephew go with me and, uh, I see families at the skate park these days, enjoying and learning together. And it's really special. It's what I always wanted it to be. So. Excellent. Loved hearing this. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Syraclad. We're talking today with Justin Beals, co-founder and CEO of StrikeGraph. For more information, feel free to visit their website at strikegraph.com. Again, that's strikegraph.com. Justin, I'm going to go back to this word you'd said there, that I think there's, it's, if there's a transference in your own business and operation is a weightlessness. And what I refer to that as that weightlessness is where it's all, my interpretation is it there's a flow, there's an ease to a very complex problem and process. Have you reached that or do you have experienced that with StrikeGraph or even with your clients? Certainly, I think we overcome obstacles and there's that sense of the, the downhill motion, you know, when you've, when you've got it flowing well, or the, the criticality of a decision point when you're weightless, you're untethered, right? You're, you're unconnected, you're trying to disconnect from the past and reconnect to the future and, and you want a different outcome from it. Um, Certainly organizations, whether it's a venture capital-backed company like ours or, or other types of organizations, are going to go through this process. The first one that we think about a lot of times, and there's a pithy statement called product market fit, which is, do you have a solution that's valuable enough that people are going to pay you money to adopt that solution? And I think even if you don't want to think about it from a, a profit-driven perspective, you can think about it as creating a sustainable organization or a a flywheel that has momentum on its own. And you're really striving for that as an entrepreneur. Um, Certainly, um, I've I've both built businesses that were product-focused and businesses that were services-focused. And we look for that same sensation of momentum and kind of gravity pulling you forward um, in building the business. And that was a critical milestone for for StrikeGraph and it came really quickly. You know, we, um, we reached uh, a million in annual recurring revenue. Uh, I think, well, we hadn't been selling our product for a year before we reached a million in annual recurring revenue. And so that is certainly a, a rapid momentum. And I, I like to think that both myself and the team that we've formed at the company are really experienced in building companies. And that helped us kind of see through some of the challenges that tend to happen in finding that sustainable product market fit where you can just go focus on growing the company and growing adoption uh, quite quickly. You know, today, organizations that are trying to go are always reaching challenges. Today, one of the challenges we constantly look at is scale. So how can we 
maintain a company that we like to operate from a size perspective, from a cost perspective, but really deliver on our solution to a much bigger set of customers with the same quality that we have in the past. And so that's something we look at a lot uh, um, day to day in, in reaching out that um, that broader set. We, we used to do it in education. When I worked in education, we were like, how can we help provide availability to these education products for folks that want to grow in a career or a capability or a skill set? And that's where StrikeGraph is. Yeah. The cybersecurity, and, and in reference to and specifically the folks that in uh, our marketplaces, architects, designers, engineers, it's vital. And there's a number of yeah. times where I've talked to uh, to folks, and they've said, you know, we, we've been hacked. Uh, if you received anything from us, or not from us, or within the last 24 or 48 hours, it's not from us. We want to let you know. That's what brought an interest to to interview you, Justin, is wow, yeah. this is a very prevalent problem that not everyone really pays attention to unless it's kind of an after fact. Is that true? That's true. Okay. It tends to catch you unawares. And that's how I got interested in it as well. Even being a chief technology officer um, as, as my prior role in a, a fair number of companies, I implemented a lot of cybersecurity, but we just, we didn't really think of it, especially as a reputation or sales issue. It was almost always uh, um, just some, we needed to do the basic things. The thing that's happening for the teams, architecture teams, engineering teams, design teams, is that they're dealing with critical intellectual property of their customers, right? So they're designing a brand new product or an innovative solution, and they want to their their customers want to be first to first to market with all that innovation that that architect provided or that lead engineer provided, and keeping that secret that data secret around what you've designed is really what their customers are concerned with. Now, one of the things that's changed about cybersecurity and security in general over the last five to six years that we think is very positive is that there are now starting to be industry accepted standards for just general business activity that can help organizations prove that they've met some of these cybersecurity or security mm. activities to their customers so they can have trust in the sales process. And probably the one that we see from services type businesses like um, engineering teams uh, would be called a SOC 2 uh, audit. And the security processes are not difficult to implement. Um, they're really kind of designed around the business. So let's say that you know, you're more of an engineering, engineering advisory service. Uh, you don't carry a lot of critical data. You can customize with our platform just the right fit to the security that matters for your type of company and still get those critical certifications so that when you're out selling, especially to, um, we see this a lot with uh, government adopters because the chief information security officer in a government entity may be requiring that all vendors hit certain security outcomes. And so we can really help organizations hit those security outcomes. Now, I noticed on your website, and I thought before I even saw this, is that, as crazy as it might sound, is the cybersecurity actually can be, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it actually can be a profit center for you, for your company and your clients. Am I off yeah. on that? 
No, not at all. Okay. And this was why I was really interested in building a business going back to ethics. All of a sudden, we had this opportunity for security to be a sales asset. That's a lot different than just a liability, right? From a perspective, because sure. if it's a liability, you're like, how much can I reduce the cost but not, not have the risk? But if it's a sales asset, you're like, how can I invest in making my company more mature, passing these independent assessments of our practices so that our customers will trust us more quickly? And so our customers get a lot of value from the perspective that their customers trust them much more efficiently with data and a contract and a long-term relationship. And so I, I thought that was great. Uh, I, I felt like we could build a better marketplace and ability to work with each other better and kind of a verified um, trust uh, that, can, that can drive a more efficient relationship. I noticed that use of the word trust a lot in our conversation to this point. Is that something that uh, personally, obviously you value it, but it seems like it, it, it is built in to the actual service pro- expertise and service provided? Yeah. When we were, I, I like the philosophy of what we do a lot. And when we were thinking about building StrikeCraft, we're like, what are we really trying to solve for here? You know, what's what's the fundamental um to use a phrase, uh, outcome we are architecting. And the outcome we wanted to architect was that when a, when a seller had a great technology product and a buyer wanted to buy that product, that they would be able to look at each other and say, I trust you, let's work together, let's do this quite efficiently. And so inevitably what these certifications or audits are meant to do is hand over to that buyer so that they can look at it and say, oh, you've been independently assessed and I have a a trust for you in working with you now because you've done this work to get this testing accomplished. On the testing, share with your audience today, you know, some of your process without some of the secret sauce, but if you, unless you want to, um, you know, how that testing and you, you facilitate that rather, um, I think kind of easily, and maybe yeah. maybe I'm reaching, but it sounds like you make it easy with something that's rather complex. Yeah, I think it has been really complex, and one of the things that is made that we've done to make it a lot easier is design a, a very robust data ontology. And so there are lots of databases in the world that say, "Hey, we have we have data in our database," but what we wanted to design was uh, the ability to say what the relationship was between different sets of data. And that becomes very powerful uh, for a lot of different constituencies that have to look at this data from different perspectives. So I'll give you a great example. In our space, the uh, way a customer might decide the appropriate security to operate is what are the risks for my form of business? You know. Do, do an architecture firm might be storing critical government data about facilities, and that's that's a risk, right? They need to be aware of the risk of storing that data and what they want to do to keep that data safe. So before we ever start talking about standards, uh, a company will utilize the StrikeCraft platform to do a risk analysis and identify the security that makes sense for their business. Those uh, we call controls, that's a security control, and it could be a process like um, we want to do background checks on all of our employees, 
or it could be a process that we need to encrypt data in our databases. And so they'll, they'll have a list of them, 80 to 100 typically of the security controls that they're operating. And then, you know, just like you collect receipts uh, for um, a, a meal for the business, we want to collect the receipts of that security operation. So we want the firewall configuration if you have a firewall, or we want uh, a signed acceptable use policy from new employees coming in the organization. Now, when we get to testing, we're taking that activity that the company has done, and we want to measure it. This is a measuring activity. And there are different measuring sticks. Uh, there is things like SOC2 or HIPAA. That's a different style of measuring stick. And on our platform, we can take that customer's security activity and tell them exactly how well it measures against multiple standards to help them understand how close or far they are from different standards of securitization. Um, and so that's a really powerful way to both get an efficient to operate security that matches your business. You're, you're not like everybody else. Everybody's a little unique. It, it makes sense to be able to tweak that, but still understand how you marry up against industry accepted standards for security activity. And that's been very successful for us. Also, the, the data is very robust. And so we are able to build a lot of very intelligent technology to analyze that data and provide reporting on it that makes the testing much more efficient, much more transparent. So we're not dealing with the opinion of a single individual um, and reproducible, which is the most critical part of testing, that someone else can go and do the same tests that we did and see the same exact outcome that we saw. This is terrific. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Siraclad. We're talking today with Justin Beals, co-founder and CEO of StrikeGraph. Our public service announcement for today's show, Justin's show, is for Ada Developers Academy. The Ada Developers Academy's mission is to prepare women and gender expansive adults to be software developers while advocating for inclusive and equitable work environments. For more information, feel free to visit their website at adadevelopersacademy.org. I'll say that again, adadevelopersacademy.org. We're talking today with Justin Beals, co-founder and CEO of Strike Graphic. Their website is strikegraphic.com. Justin, with uh, businesses in uh, commerce constantly evolving, the expectations for uh, for results, or as you said, outcomes evolve as well. What's changed in your experience over the last, say, two or three years? Hmm. Um, definitely, uh, one of the things we're you know we're we're in the venture capital backed technology solutions marketplace. That's what we do, and certainly in the last year, one of the big shifts. I think from boards and investors that we're seeing is a, a much more balanced approach to building a business, which of course resonates with me. You know, I started building companies bootstrapped out of my living room <laughs> and <laughs> gained enough experience to uh, be able to work in the in the realm of um, of uh, venture capital backed companies, and, and that's been an exciting journey unto itself. The um, I think that 
we're we're liking the fact that um, boards and investors are much more interested these days in a balanced approach to growing the company. That they would like to see us focus not only on um, sheer dollars in the door, but the resilience of our business. Uh, the the team that we put together and the opportunity, the value opportunity that the product creates in the marketplace. And they're giving us more time to prove that in a way. Uh, we have a lot of conversations these days that are like, hey, we're not as interested in 3x to 5x growth as we are in hitting and improving uh, some critical metrics like the cost of customer acquisition. How much time and energy does it take to get a new customer in the door or um what is your path to profitability, which is not a statement we've heard, especially from our luminaries in Silicon Valley in a long time. <laughs> and, and certainly from a sustainability perspective, being profitable is that watershed moment, right? Because the second you are generating more value than you're burning is the point at which the organization has the opportunity to grow organically if required. Say that again. I love that. Yeah. So certainly um, what we're seeing is profitability is a form of sustainability. Um, we, I personally like building companies that, that can grow of their own volition. They have that flywheel really rolling. And if you're burning more capital than you're creating in a single year, you, your revenue stream has to be supported by investors mm. or donors. And that is just that means the the business itself is not healthy in a lot of ways because you take away that interest in providing that, and then you start limiting the product value that you give or the customers you can reach or the employees you can support, and then you are doing layoffs and then you are doing cost cutting. You essentially have created an unsustainable engine and you have to resize it. So the fact that um, we're getting a lot of interest in what our path to profitability looks like allows me as a CEO to think about building a company that is sustainable in and of itself, maybe perhaps with or without me at it, which is a great way to think about how that organization is going to live beyond a single individual engaged in, in, in the founding of it or the driving of it. Yeah. Justin, what would you like to share with your audience today that we may not have touched on it during our show well first off I, I for all the especially the architects out there in the world that have created some of the beautiful spaces that i've skated in uh, thank you <laughs> I, I i i am a big fan especially of of architecture and uh i'm really glad to see how some have leaned into creating uh, environments that breed creativity around them, whether that is a tech worker in a space that wants a creative space to think of new ideas or a skateboarder that's uh, just looking to engage in the context around them and, and create that own momentary art for themselves. Uh, so may, maybe a sense of gratitude for, <laughs> for that in your audience. Um, I think that, uh, you know, from our work at StrikeGraph uh, as an opportunity to engage organizations that are being confronted with these questions about what their security is or security operations might look like. 
we're certainly excited to work with them to make sure that it's right-sized and implemented well and that they feel like they're being um, good stewards of the data that their customers share with them and those relationships that they want to maintain for a really long time. Outstanding. Justin, a real honor and pleasure having you on the show and talking with you today. Thank you very, very much. Uh, it's, it's my treat, Tom. Have a wonderful day. I hope you do as well. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by Cereclad. Our guest today has been Justin Beals, co-founder and CEO of StrikeGraph. For more information, you can visit their website at strikegraph.com. That's strikegraph.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Thanks for listening. Cereclad is a high-performance fiber cement siding system in one size with triple coat technology and 365 days of self-cleaning, along with a 20-year fade limited warranty. Cereclad also offers hundreds of design options. For more information, feel free to visit cereclad.com.